Hey, 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 you're listening to the Vibrant Happy Women podcast, episode number 161. We're talking about five things you must stop doing in order to be your most authentic and empowered self. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Dr. Jen Riday, former burned out mom of six turned happiness whisperer. And I'm here to help you get off that hamster wheel and make time for yourself without the guilt, so you can live a balanced, calm, heart-centered life. With over 2.5 million downloads, this is the Vibrant Happy Women podcast. What's up? Welcome back to Vibrant Happy Women. I am Jen, your friend, and hey, can I just say, you freaking rock. You are a rock star of amazingness. Make a big smile, cross your face now, Pat yourself on the back, give yourself a hug and just smile because you are amazing. You should know it. I'm so glad you're here. Well, today I'm talking with my friend, Donna Simpkin, who has a really amazing life. Sometimes people do things that just stand out and Donna has that kind of life. She is a foster mom, has fostered tons and tons and tons of kids over the years and she started out very differently. Her husband left and she was a single mom, often without even water or electricity. And she met a mysterious older woman at a hospital who told her five things she had to stop doing. Five things. It sounds really magical and mysterious. Who was this woman? Donna had never seen her before and never saw her again. I'm still wondering about that. You're going to hear the entire story in this episode. It's fantastic. My assistant, Tara, listen to this episode in advance before you are. In fact, she just read the transcript and she messaged me right away and said, Jen, I was crying all through that episode. Donna is amazing. And I agree, Donna, you are amazing. And everyone, you are so lucky to get to hear her story today. And I want you to let it inspire you and especially those five things that we all need to stop doing. Let them sink into your heart so you too can be as empowered and inspiring and helpful to this planet as Donna is being in her life. I have nothing more to add. Donna's episode and this interview will speak for itself. I can't wait for you to listen. Let's jump in. I am chatting with Donna Simkin today, and she's a mom of 11 children, ages 28 down to three, three of whom are biological kids, five who are adopted, and three who are angels now. Donna has been a foster mom for eight years, and when she's not busy with the kids, which is rarely, She likes to do crafts and make baskets for fundraisers. She lives in Rock Springs, Wyoming. Welcome to Vibrate Happy Women, Donna. Thank you for having me and inviting me. I'm super excited. I am super excited. I met Donna, everyone, through Heal Your Heart, and I quickly learned she is busy with special needs foster kids or foster kids that, I don't know if they're all special needs, but tell us a little bit about that, Donna. Yes. In the county that I live in, it is hard to find people that are medically trained to take on the kids that have medical issues. So I was at one point the only person trained to take on and the what they call specialty foster care, which is children that all have medical issues. We could have PKU, they could have severe asthma, they could have heart conditions. Right now I have Well, I guess they're not foster anymore. I just adopted them, but it's hard for me to remember that I did that just this week. (laughs) (laughs) I have one that has cerebral palsy and the other one is G-tube fed, mentally challenged and has autism. So it's kids ranging all different kinds of special needs. Yeah. And so 
my first thought when I met you was, whoa, whoa, how is she not burned out and like lying in the gutter (laughs) through all of this? And so we're going to dive into that story in a second. But I first want to give you the chance to share your favorite quote or a motto that guides you in your life. So kind of mine is more of a motto. And it's kind of a quote that kind of brought me into a motto. It is the most difficult thing in life is to know yourself. So (laughs) find myself first, before I realized that I could help others. I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted. I mean, typically, when I went to got out of high school and went to college, I was like any typical high schooler, you know, you knew it all. You Mm -hmm. didn't want to listen to what anybody else said. So I went to college and I actually went to college to become a school teacher and started out in a kindergarten classroom and realized I didn't like kids, mm-hmm. which is funny having all these kids. But <laughs> that is it, funny. <laughs> it might have just been that position or whatever, but I didn't like that. So, of course, I had to go back and explain to my parents that what they just sent me through school was um, kind of a waste of time. Mm. In the meantime, I, you know, found what my parents would call a bad boy rebel and <laughs> got married and started having kids of my own right away. <laughs> so needless to say, I didn't have control of myself. Mm-hmm. And so when my life crumbled, when after 13 years or 18 years of marriage, my first marriage, everything was crumbling and all that is when I ran into by accident, a little lady who sat me down and said, honey, you need to find yourself. Oh, yeah. And I looked at her and I'm like, okay, first of all, I don't know how you came into my life, but I don't know what you mean by finding myself. And she explained to me that in order to find yourself, you have to stop five things in your life. You have to stop trying to please everybody else. You have to stop fearing change, stop living in the past, stop putting yourself down and stop overthinking. Whoa, the five stops. Five stops. So say those one more time so everyone can write them down if they need to. (laughs) You got to stop pleasing everyone because that's what I naturally did as a mom. That's what we all want to do. As a wife, everything, we want to please everybody else. Mm -hmm. But we got to stop pleasing everyone. Stop fearing change. I was going through a divorce. I was scared to be on my own. How am I going to do this? You know, I had a lot of change going on and I was holding on to that. Mm -hmm. This third one, stop living in the past. Mm -hmm. Stop putting myself down. Mm, Big one. And stop overthinking. Wow. Huge. Yes. All huge. Huge. And I mean, I told her that if I could stop any one of those, I probably if she had a formula to stop any one of those, we could be rich. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, So take us back. You you did the bad boy thing. You married the bad boy. Your words, not mine. And you had your three bio kids with him, right? Yes, I had my three bio kids with him, actually four bio kids. I had a twin and my first set were twins and we lost one. So that's one of my angels. Got it. Got it. Four kids with him. And tell us a little about your fascinating family. Like, I've never heard of a family like this all living together. You know, the Italian thing. It sounds so cool. So tell us what your family was like and and what happened as things led up to the divorce. Okay, so we're a big, huge Italian family. We would every Sunday get together, have dinner, everybody, all the aunts, uncles, cousins, everything, all lived on the same street growing up in just different houses, but we all lived on the same street. We're all really, like I said, all real close, tight-knit family. When I got married, my parents weren't happy. They didn't like my life choice, but they accepted it. 
So when I got divorced at this point, well, not realizing throughout this 18 years of marriage, I was, um, he was very controlling, started pulling me away from my family. I didn't Mm. see this, Mm -hmm. you know, hindsight, did not know that I was being pulled. He was talking to my family more than I was talking to my family. We would go over there every weekend for dinner and stuff, but it still was not a, as tight as we were. So when the struggle did come for us to, you know, when the marriage was ending and, I was in a career as a medic, which I don't know. I mean, some of the listeners out there, if you're in the emergency medicine type field, it's a very burnout field. Mm-hmm. So you learn to keep everything inside and become tough and hard. And, you know, you're just not, that's just, you live that every day. So that's what you tend to start to become. Mm-hmm. And while I became that, I started shutting people out of my life simply because I was, you know, hard and I, you keep your feelings in and took care of them on our own way. Mm-hmm. And so through that, when I got divorced, my entire family decided to take my ex-husband's side mm-hmm. because he would be the one running to him with this openness of crying of how bad a person I was and what I did and how I didn't care and how I didn't show affection, which I didn't. Mm-hmm. By all means, I didn't because I was a medic and I was taught, you know, I mean, I was trained myself to be hard. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, my family decided to choose Obviously, my ex-husband set him up a trailer, bought him a trailer, bought him all the furniture, everything that he needed. They even supplied this place with food for him. Wow. He could have a place to take his kids. Mm -hmm. And at that point is where I had this. I was at work. It was a busy night. I was having this disaster meltdown because of everything going on in my personal life and because of what's going on. And I'm working in an ER So we're having a bad night in our ER. And this is when this little lady sat me down. Mm. She actually brought me dinner. And I don't know how it came about that she was bringing us dinner or if she just was bringing me dinner. I just cannot all remember that because all I can remember is sitting down in a quiet lounge with her. And she's pulled me aside and said, listen, you've got to change what's going on in your life or else you're headed for disaster. Yeah. So she gave the five tips and you're sitting there probably kind of deer in the headlights thinking, whoa. How do I even do this? So how did you do it, Donna? <laughs> exactly what I said to her. I said, and how am I supposed to do this? Because at that point, I'm still kind of going, right, you have all these answers, lady, but you don't. Have... So she hands me this little pocketbook. Ooh. Okay. It's a little pocketbook. And it was the little pocketbook of The Secret written by Rhonda Byrne. Oh, yeah. And in there is where she wrote, told me the most difficult thing in life is to get to know yourself. And that's where she wrote down the five things I needed to stop. Uh huh. So the little old lady wrote the five things, not Rhonda Byrne. No, the little old lady, not Rhonda Byrne. Got it. Got it. Okay. She just wrote that in the book for me so that I had that. And she told me that on my next, to take a day off and on my next day off to go through and read this book and do what it says. Wow. It kind of seems like (laughs) this mysterious, you know, angel almost that comes into your life right when you need it. It's kind of crazy. It was to me, that's and and that is all I can remember of that night. I know it was a hard night for us, but that is the only thing I can remember. And I can remember from that day forward. I mean, I couldn't tell you if it was a Monday, Tuesday or exactly what the date was, but I can tell you from that day forward is when my life changed. Really? So wait, yeah. did you ever see the lady again? Never saw the lady again. Oh my gosh. What if <laughs> you never know? You never know. Yes. It could have yes. been some amazing divine being giving you wisdom. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Never seen seen her and never even looked for her again. That's the thing. In my own mind, as I was going through my book, you know, 
every time I need something and I need to go in there, I never even really thought about, hey, did you ever think about wondering what happened to her? Or what It never did, never crossed my mind at all, ever. Wow, that's fascinating. So how did your life change? I mean, you're closed, you're tired, you're mad at your husband, I'm imagining. And oh, then, yeah. then you get all yeah. of this. What was different? Exactly. And so I started doing what the book said and what she said. I stopped trying to please everyone. At that point, I had to tell my family had to be done. Mm -hmm. I had to stop trying to explain to them or trying to make them happy or try to do whatever they wanted me to do to get them to affect thinking I needed to do for them to love me. You mean your extended family? No, like my, my parents and that kind of thing. Not your kids. Okay, got it. No, not kids. Not my kids at all. No, the kids are not even in this ratio right now. Just my extended family, my parents, all that, that were I was trying to please because they were helping my ex and not giving two craps about me is what I was thinking. Yeah. And I had to give out that, let go of the fear that I can't be alone because I can't do this. That mm. change. I need to be in this abusive relationship because it's what I know. It's what I need and I can't change it right now. And that's also, it'd be better off for the kids if we stayed together kind of game. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop living in the past. I had to stop thinking about what he did and how controlling he was and everything. How's that going to affect, you know, my future? I had to just stop living in there. Just mm -hmm. stop worrying about the what happened in the past kind of thing. And the putting myself down, I had to stop putting myself down on the fact of saying, you can't do this, you have to live, you know, you have to have him around, you have to be there kind of thing. And then the same thing with the overthinking, all those together was causing me to overthink. Mm -hmm. how all this was going to be. So I just, as Rhonda Byrne puts it out there, you got to tell the universe what you deserve, what you want, and let it go. Yeah. What did you decide you deserved and wanted at that point before it all happened? Well, at that point, I just started out with, first of all, I deserve happiness. Mm -hmm. Second of all, I deserve a man who is going to appreciate me yeah. and my children. <laughs> like we deserve to be treated. And I also thought, you know what, I deserve to stop struggling. I worked two full time jobs. I worked on the ambulance service, you know, 12 hour shifts, three days a week. Mm -hmm. And I worked in the emergency room, 12 hour shifts, three days a week. Mm -hmm. So I worked six days a week, two full time jobs. And I said, I deserve a break. I mm -hmm. deserve to be able to pay my bills with one job. I deserve to be part of my family. I take care of my kids. You know, we deserve to be happy. Mm hmm. And believe it or not, things started changing. Wow. So that easily, that quickly. It wasn't really quick, but I stopped. I mean, some of the things were quick. I stopped overthinking. I started becoming confident in myself on I could do this. The fearing the change was the stop pleasing people. That stuff was easy. And once I stopped doing that, it was amazing how the other stuff was coming in. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's almost like you were blocking all the abundance that probably could have been yours all along just by changing your thoughts. Then, then yes. you unblocked it. Oh, yeah. One day we decided it was we had spring break. We had some time off. I looked at my kids. I said, where do you guys want to go? Mm -hmm. They said to the beach. Well, we have a little reservoir around in our county. And I said, you want to go to the like the gorge for the weekend? And they're like, no, we want to go see the real beach. <laughs> I'm not proud of this part, but my daughter, I talked her into taking her dad's credit card when she was on a visit with him. And we decided to go to California. <laughs> That's so fun. <laughs> and not on our expense. <laughs> right, right. 
Well, I mean, he had to pay some child support and alimony anyway. It was all good. Well, he wasn't paying a thing. Our house was in foreclosure. My car was being taken. All this stuff was going on because he wasn't paying anything to help us out because that he was controlling and I was becoming a new me and it wasn't what he was wanting. So, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, it was the typical not doing things. So it wasn't that bad. But we decided to go to California Mm -hmm. and we went to the Golden Gate Bridge and we wrote down everything we wanted to change in our lives and we screamed it off the bridge and we tossed our paper overboard and from that point on even the kids changed we all started following in believing the same thing the know ourselves and those five things to stop wow wow this is such a good story i didn't even know all of this about you donna (laughs) (laughs) so You're in a house that's in foreclosure. You can't, I think you mentioned you couldn't pay the bills. It sounds like it's going wrong, but you get back from California. You've done this amazing thing. You're completely different people. Then what did life look like as you moved forward? Just kind of tell us that story. Well, we still had our days where like I, you know, I've uh, mentioned in our group where we would come home and the power would be off because that bill, I couldn't get paid that month or whatever the case may be. And because I did take myself down to one job so Mm. that I could spend more time with my kids. So, you know, maybe that month I didn't have money for the lights, so we didn't pay the lights. So we would take, and at that point we had a little guy who was six years old, my youngest son of the bios. So the older ones, we didn't want him to know what was going on in the struggles we were having. So we would make up games and play like, hey, we're camping. We can only use flashlights. No one can turn on any lights, you know. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. The water would be shut off. So it'd be like, hey, saving the planet. Everybody has to use the potty outside, mm-hmm. you know, kind of game. Mm-hmm. So we would do games and stuff and make it fun and have fun and play and make memories that way through mm-hmm. playing. And things just started turning up. One day I met this gentleman who really wanted to be in my life. And at that point, I didn't want a man in my life. Things were going so good. I was like, why mess it up? Yeah. Why bring them? We're just getting rid of one. Why do we want to bring another one? He <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, he insisted on still becoming part of our lives. And when he found out my house was in foreclosure, he actually went and paid all the past mortgage. Oh, my gosh. You were pushing him away and he still did this. That's and he's crazy. still doing this. But see, and the thing is, it's like he's never had been married, never had any children but was taking care of me and my kids. And I'm like, you don't understand what it's like to be have kids. So you need to just stop and back. He goes, well, I'm not going to understand if you're not going to let me in your life to show me what it's like to have kids. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I decided to give in, start dating him. And long story short, he is my husband now. Oh, that's such a good story. Wow, that's really romantic. He paid. Yes, the- <laughs> everything came full circle. That's once I started giving up and I started paying attention and asking and saying what we needed and what we deserved. Things just went full circle. I left the emergency kind of the emergency medicine job. I opened up a pain clinic with one of our local anesthesiologists. And we had this business that was just booming. I mean, things just started pouring in for my favor. Mm hmm. So you married the guy and you have your three biological kids. So he helped you to raise them. How did you get into foster care? Well, I decided that he met me when my bio, the youngest one was eight years old. Okay. So at that point, he'd never really had a baby or what it's like to, you know, have little tiny kids or anything like that of his own. And my older ones, there was an age difference. My older ones were basically he graduated them 
out of high school and sent him on to college. So he really didn't have, so when we had the two in college, we decided that maybe we should try to have a child together Mm. since he'd never had one. Okay. And we weren't able to conceive. I had my tubes tied. We were not able to conceive. So we tried in vitro. Uh We did that three times. All three times was not a success. I carried the fetus for a little while, but then would miscarry before, you know, too long. So with that being said, my sister worked for our local Department of Family Services. And she's like, there's a lot of kids out here that would just love to have you as even a parent in their life for a week. Mm hmm. And I thought, so I brought it up to my husband. He was like, oh, heck no. (laughs) We are not going to foster kids. You have to give those people so much information and I don't want no one to know anything about my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay. So I get the packet anyway and we sit down and we fill it out. And he's like, oh, this might not be bad. All right. It might not be bad. So be it. We went ahead and finished, got the home study done, decided this is what we wanted to do. We brought way to wait till the older kids. We were able to get everybody together and talk because it's a life changing event. And I wanted to know if the older kids wanted to be involved in this also because they kept coming home. Yeah. And so they decided to be part of the event and we all decided to do it. And we did. We jumped right in full force and started doing foster care. I still had my full time job. My husband still had his full-time job, kids going to school, and we had the one that we did, kids we did still have at home, did traveling sports, so we were constantly traveling all over the place with his sports, and boom, knock on the door one day in the middle of the night, we end up with a brand new baby girl. Whoa. Oh, gosh. We were in the middle of a tournament weekend. It was Father's Day weekend. Here comes this little baby girl into our lives. Her name was Nevea, which is heaven spelt backwards. Oh. And it came on Father's Day weekend. The only reason why we were doing this whole entire foster care thing is for me was because I wanted my husband to see what it's like to have children. Right. Generous. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm thinking, wait a minute. Here's a baby girl. She's on Father's Day weekend. Her name's heaven spelt backwards. This is a sign. Oh. The only thing that didn't deliver it was the little old lady who handed me the book. Yeah. Or else it would be. That would have been your jaw (laughs) would never have come off the floor. Yeah. So at that point, we just figured, wow, this is meant to be. We ended up a very hard four and a half years, but she did stay in our lives. We did adopt her. And but prior adopting her, we adopt nine months later, we get another little baby girl. And we adopted her shortly after we got her within six months. And within a year of that, that child's biological parents had another child and gave wanted us to adopt because they were not going to be parents. Mm hmm. So we had two adoptions and still the first girl that we had in our care working on, you know, whether we're reunifying, whether we're not at the same time that this is so hard and so confusing that I just call them baby mama one and baby mama two. Mm -hmm. Baby mama one and baby mama two were both pregnant at the same exact time, gave birth to kids three days in difference. But one of the moms decided to take off with the child. Oh, okay. She was lost somewhere with this child. We couldn't find her. State was looking for her. Probation was looking for her. Everybody looking for her. Couldn't find her. So in the meantime, we took in this other one, adopted her. And at about two years in, they found the mom mm-hmm. that ran with the first baby. Mm-hmm. She happened to be pregnant. Oh, boy. And since she broke all her probation and everything, she was going to finish her sentence out in prison. She was going straight to prison. So... She was off on her way to prison, and we get this knock on the door. Hey, your baby mama is pregnant with twins. Oh, wait. So she's pregnant with twins, and you already have three babies 
in, around or two. No, this is years down. I said yeah, about two years later. So okay. they're you know, they're all still young. Well, how many kids do you have at this point? The foster kids. That's the part I want to make sure I get. At this point in my life? Yeah. How many foster kids did you have before this knock on the door with the twins? I had the original, the older one that we were working on adoption. She was still in foster. I had a lot of foster kids in and out. We've had over 50 some foster kids in our house. Oh, well, okay. We can't then understand yes. the whole story. I'll just let right. you go then. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh my no, gosh, but, 50. Yeah. Oh my no. gosh. Okay. We had them in and out. We didn't just adopt everyone that comes through our house. Got it. Okay. We got okay. to be reunified, which is great. Okay. So at this point, we still have a four-year-old. We have a three-year-old and we have a two-year-old. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we also have a newborn. Mm -hmm. And this is a newborn who has had heart problems born with uh, we had to take born with a single valve so and mom just kind of walked out mm -hmm. so it was more of a hospice type thing but we took this baby on and was running back and forth to children's hospital and doing things and taking care of this baby and I was on my way when they let me know that this baby mama had been picked up and she's in our local jail and but she's going to be headed to prison and that she is pregnant and she only wants to talk to me. Oh, wow. And I'm like, well, I don't have time to talk. I have this child in my care that is on a ventilator that is feeding tube dependent, about ready to go in for another surgery. <laughs> and just his breakfast alone could kill him. So I need to concentrate on what I am doing with this one, not talk to a baby mama in prison, mm -hmm. in jail. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, she won't talk to us. And if we, you know, just try to reach out to her if you get some time. Mm -hmm. So I said, all right, if I get time, I'll reach out to her. And off to Children's Hospital, I go. Our Children's Hospital is 200 miles away. So we travel there all the time. Wow. I'm at Children's Hospital and the baby takes a turn for the worse. We all decide that we're just going to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. After 40 days of trying and working and surgeries and everything else, we finally just decide that it's for the best. So we are saying our goodbyes and I obviously am losing it because my six month old is dying in my arms. Mm -hmm. And the nurse sits down and says, is there anything I can do to help you? And I said, I just want this to be over. I'm done. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want foster kids anymore. I want these kids gone. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And she said, remember to take care of yourself. Mm. And I said, that is so hard to do. And oh, she right. says, well, obviously you were meant for something greater. Wow. And you need to find out what that is. If you haven't already, everyone around here knows what you're here for, what your greater being is. Really? And I'm just looking at her like, what? And she says, you have been awesome with this child. Mm -hmm. It's not yours. It's a foster kid. It's somebody else's kid. And you're sitting here day in and day out, 40 days, loving this baby and giving this baby everything that this baby would not have gotten if he was just sitting in here. Mm. And I'm like, you're right. Hmm. You're right. This is what I'm meant to do. Wow. Well, I decided at that point that, yep, this is what I was meant to do. And I'm going to go back. And this is where I had to finally pull myself back together and go back five years from when that lady told me, find yourself, stop overthinking, stop all that good stuff. And I wrote a letter to the gal in prison and said, I would be more than happy to help you out. And that is prior to me finding out they were twins. I thought we're just a single baby. Yeah. I said, but in the meantime, tell me where the other child is that you've hidden because we need that one too. Ooh. And 
She did. We started building a relationship. They hadn't quite taken that child from where the house was that it was at because she was being taken care of, even though it was another house that did drugs. So they were had to work on getting, you know, a reason to pull that child. So things started looking up. We just prayed for it. We stopped overthinking. I quit my job. Mm hmm that I had because I decided that being a working in the pain management field, I was basically causing addiction. Ah, that's true. Yeah. Taking kids in that were born addicted. So I felt like I was being part of the problem mm -hmm. instead of part of the solution yeah. when I was finding myself again. So I said, this is not for me. So I quit my job and started making the life changes like I did five years ago on that one. And the babies were the one month, May, my little six month old died. In June, my twins were born. Oh, and they came to you right away. Yes, right out of the hospital. Yes, they were C-section. So I had 24 hours to drive across the state and pick them up. Oh, my goodness. And so those twins you just adopted recently, is that correct? Recently, yes. Three and a half years ago was when they came into our life. And we adopted them just Wednesday, three days ago. Ah. Oh. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. So when I hear you sharing these stories, I have a cousin who did foster care and the level of drama involved and the heartache involved dealing with the birth moms wondering whether the child is going to be reunited with their birth parents or whether you'll be adopting them. It just sounds so emotionally draining. I would love to hear how you have dealt with the emotions of all of that. Or maybe you were primed for it because you did the emergency care. I don't know. How have you been able to manage 50 foster kids over the years? It is very overwhelming and draining. And that's the most scariest thing I hear from people when they're like, how do you do that? I could not let them go back. Mm -hmm. And that's why I became a mentor for in our county. I am the only mentor to mentor biological parents. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went to mentoring biological parents, teach them to be parents. A lot of these people that get their children taken away are not bad people at all. Right. They never grew up in a home that taught them or even showed them love usually, mm. let alone how to be a parent. Right. And so I mentor them. And one set of my parents that I mentored that I have actually adopted their kids, just mentoring them, they realized that, you know, we can have a good life. They're productive members of society. They both hold down full-time jobs. I could go over to their house right now and it's going to be clean, spick and span, but they can't do it without being high. Mm. They oh. hold a very, They cannot be sober. Mm -hmm. So they knew that they couldn't be parents because they couldn't stay sober. Right, right. So they just need to be educated on the fact of, well, if you can't stay sober and then you need to stop having children. Right. So let's work on getting that fixed. But in the meantime, they are very happy and they are aunts and uncles basically to my kids because I keep them in their life ah. as an aunt and an uncle, not as, hey, this is other mom and dad. Right. Right. Oh, that's cool. So and just mentoring them and working with them and still today, even though they don't have kids in foster care and they have issues, they will call and ask, what should I do about something like this? Oh, that's really meaningful to be a mentor yes. like that. And so that's what I do is mentor these other parents and teach them. To, and you they learn. I mean, there's ones I had one that I mentored that I had her child 
and I was mentoring her and I'm just telling, she just really did not have a support group. So I became her support group, mentored her. She was doing wonderful to get her kid back. She got scared that she wouldn't be able to do it. She started overthinking, which is one thing we worked heavily on. She started overthinking, went straight back to what was her comfort zone, which was her drugs and walked out and we haven't seen her since. And that was Mm, two years ago. That's so sad. But It is because she was having that, getting that relationship back with her child and then just dropped like that. So it's, you know, you do have ones that you think I thought was being really good, but then there's other ones that will just realize I can't do this. Yeah. Is there a certain drug that's most problematic in the foster care field? Meth. Meth. Okay. Not heroin then. Heroin is. Well, it's it's opiates, basically. And that's the opiates are big here, too. Oh, like the oxy, taking the oxy and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Yes. And the same thing with get the same feeling by crushing it or liquefying the Oxycontins and shooting them up. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, so one thing I heard you talk about, which was fascinating, is you mentioned the rad kids. Yeah. And the way you help them to heal from any of the past traumas they might have experienced with their birth parents. Tell us more about that. So the rad kids, rad is the reactive attachment disorder. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those children, they just, they don't attach. The little girl that was brought into our house, right? The very first one that I was telling you about, our little Navea, she wasn't an infant. I mean, she was an infant, but she wasn't like brand new out of the hospital. She was two months old. Mm -hmm. She was heading down that road as a rad child because what usually they do is they get to take their babies home and then they just ignore them. Mm -hmm. In fact... This particular case, they were following her biological father, and he had actually left the house at six o'clock with the mother in the morning, drove to Utah, which is 200 miles away from us, Mm -hmm. picked up drugs, and then drove back, which in turn took a good eight hours. Yeah. And the task force team, since they were watching him, they waited until a little bit later, a couple hours after they'd gotten back home, and then they went and broke down the door not even knowing that there was an infant in that house. Oh, my gosh. So she was left alone for eight hours, at least. Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. And at that point in time, when she first came to us, she didn't realize she didn't know how to cry. She didn't cry, period. Oh, oh, my gosh. All she would do was suck a binky because she didn't know what else to do. She never cried because she was hungry. She never cried because she was dirty because she just spent almost two months learning that crying didn't get her anywhere. Yeah. Wow. So that right there would have been a rad kid, provided we didn't jump in right away. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what happens. A lot of these kids, the infant, they'll get past that to where they can start, you know, holding a bottle on their own and stuff like that. And then it becomes easy to feed your child Mm -hmm. and have your child and still do your drugs. So anyway, these rad kids, when they come in, some of these kids, we don't even know. You don't even know they're rad kids until they're way into school, seven, eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. But these rad kids, they have, they're always constantly in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to get out of that. They're constantly. So they do something wrong. They fly. They're kids that in foster care are moved from home to home to home to home because each pa- nobody can handle them. Yeah. These are the ones that you hear the horror stories about. These are the ones that people see when they typically think, oh, foster house, foster home, foster kid. Yeah. Yeah. The bad, the rad, because that's all we ever hear about is the bad. Okay. And it's not, you know, these kids are just kids that nobody knew how to handle. Nobody knew what was going on. They didn't, you know, you couldn't ground them. You couldn't do the typical things you do with your own kids because objects were nothing to them. Yeah. If they wanted an object, they would steal it. If you took it away. 
them. They didn't care. They'd steal another one. Yeah. So how do you heal that? What we do is we found that we need to go back. Mm -hmm. We need to start back at the very beginning. So even back to infancy. So we would have to take this child and go all the way back to think about holding your own children and cooing in their little faces and smiling at them and showing them that bond. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing we got to do with these kids. Obviously, we're not going to hold them like little babies at seven years old, but you just get down. Everything is play with it, play therapy. You can find out so much with just with playing. In fact, our motto with our playing is play is the highest form of research. So around playing with this child, you can get all the research you need. Yeah. Wow. And even with your own children, it doesn't have to be a rad child. You can play with your own child, someone else's child, but just that play with playing with somebody, even a teenager, you're playing cards with them. You can get the most research out of that. Yeah. Just with playing. Like information that you need to know about them. Yes. Oh, yes. that's fascinating. Form of research is play. Yeah. Have there been moments in this process of foster parenting, which again, to me sounds exhausting. Yet I hear in your story, it does seem meant to be you had the medical background, you had the pain background, so you could understand the drugs. I mean, now you're a mentor, it all just builds and it's beautiful. What a gift. But are there moments when you had to stop and go back to that little lady's first point, which was can't please everyone, you know, yes. to put yourself first? Yeah. Exactly. And that's why I decided to start Heal Your Heart. I need to go back. I need a refresher course. I need to go back to back to my beginning again. I started finding that, okay, so like when I said, May of 2015, my baby dies. June, my twins come along. And anybody with any, even a singleton baby knows that you don't get sleep that first year anyway, let alone having two of them. Yeah. And two having special needs. I mean, the first one was in the NICU for four weeks. But then after he came out, there's all these special needs and stuff that's going on with these guys. I lost that whole entire first year and I became back to robot mode. Back to, I have to do this. I have to please this. I have to be this. I need to be a mom. And then I felt guilty about not being a mom to the other kids because I was spending so much time with these ones that I would join the PTOs and, you know, started back into that life that most everybody falls into being a mom and a wife. Yeah. Doing too much. Doing way too much and worrying about that very first thing, pleasing everyone. Ah, yeah. That's funny you mentioned because I think we all do that. We all learn it, but we'll slide and then we have to remember again. Yes, (laughs) and I (laughs) I do. I slide all the time. Like I said, five years after I started getting into this group, things started working for me. Things started being my life started going da 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 da. And then all of a sudden I had to regroup and say, oh, this isn't working for me. And then unfortunately, it didn't take five years this time. It's only been a couple of years, but I finally decided, whoa, (laughs) This is, I'm back to that. I'm recognizing I'm back to that person again. So I had to find something to pull me back out of it mm-hmm. and to do that whole fear of everything, change and pleasing everyone and living in the past and putting myself down because that's basically what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a good mom. I can't do this, you know, with my whole putting myself down of not thinking I was a good mom. So I had to join the PTO and I had to do. Well, so I know since joining Heal Your Heart, you've made some big changes this year. Yes. Tell us about those. Well, I just back to the, you know, I actually healing your heart kind of jumped ahead without realizing I jumped ahead. Just the very first couple of weeks brought me into the point where I was like, wait a minute, I need to stop doing this. I have to say, be able to say no to this. You know, I've got to clear my schedule, do a, you know, healthy no's and boundaries, which was down the road a little ways. But 
So I did. I had to, I just completely stopped being on the board of directors for the kids' school. I dropped the PTO for my kids' school. I decided that, you know, I needed to focus on only one thing. I had students in the house take, helping me take care of these kids as like in nanny positions where college kids that were learning about like going to the nursing program would come in and help me clean the tubes on the tube fed kid or change them or physical therapy on the cerebral palsy child. And I had people in here fixing breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. And I just finally had to say, you know what? Everybody needs to just stop. (laughs) (laughs) I need to focus back in my family. I need to come back together with, you know, my happiness and me. Mm -hmm. So we got rid of a lot of that. Nice. And how do you feel different with those changes? How are you feeling different? Well, I feel... Like you said before, well, in this thing, I used to have to have a lot of control. Mm. And I now feel that, believe it or not, I'm in more control of what's of the situation now than I was. But to me, it doesn't feel like I'm in control. I feel like just being this weight is lifted because everybody, we even had to go back. All the kids had to go back. We had to sit down and write down a list of everything in the house that needs done. Mm -hmm. whether it be vacuuming, cleaning toilets, whatever the case may be. We wrote down every single thing that had to be done. And then we divvied up the chores with everybody in the house. Mm -hmm. So everybody knows exactly what everybody's doing. Yeah, you had to go back and reorganize your system, really. Yeah. Yes. And that we reorganized. Everybody knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then that also holds accountability and able to teach consequences. Yeah. Nice. Because if you're not going to get your shoes on and get to the car when I need you to, and you take up five minutes of my time, then that's five minutes off of one of my chores that I'm not going to get done. So you're going to have to come home and do something for me that lost that five minutes. Yes, that's a good one. I like and that. And so that's the way we do things. We learn consequences. They have to learn to pay back if they do something that's going to harm or hurt somebody else. Mm-hmm. But at the age my kids are, I mean, I have seven or six, five, four and twin three year olds. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody has to learn. But another thing we went back to that was slacking is at the very beginning of all this, when this lady first came into my life, we got a what we call a gratitude rock. Mm -hmm. And we would every night pull that rock out and touch it and say something that we were thankful for or some kind of gratitude towards it. Mm -hmm. Well, that rock now sits outside of our front door. Oh, Or you come in the house every single time you leave or come back to and come back in that house. You have to touch that rock and say something you're thankful for. Oh, that's so smart. And do the kids do it? Everybody does it. Yes. Oh, that's really good. I'm going to do that. I thank you. have to be. I mean, at first it used to be where you'd stand outside for an extra 10 minutes because, you know, everybody has to, um, you know, kind of thing. But when it's snowing and raining or whatever outside and it's bitter cold, they learn to just go, thank you for the sun. <laughs> yeah. The that's heater good. right now, whatever. You just have to touch it. You just have to say something positive and that will get us into the house already starting off on a positive note. That is brilliant. I'm stealing that. It works. That's awesome. Well, Donna, I want to take a quick break for our sponsor and then come back and talk a little more about some of your favorite things. Anyone who's had a migraine knows it's the absolute worst. My husband and my oldest son get migraines sometimes and they have to shut down completely and it looks miserable. Well, now it's a little easier to treat migraines from home thanks to Cove. Cove starts out with a simple consultation with the licensed doctor, and then the prescription that they choose for you is sent directly to your door. 
After your consultation, your doctor tailors your individual course of treatment. Then they reach out a few weeks later to see how you're feeling. They break everything down so you'll know everything you need to know about migraines and migraine treatment. And the doctor that you work with is licensed to practice medicine in your state. Plus, every medication they prescribe is FDA approved. So if you suffer from migraines, the last thing you need to do is wait to get to the doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. And when you use our special link, you'll get your first month of treatment for free. So check it out. Go to cove.com slash happy women. That's C-O-V-E dot com slash happy women. Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking with Donna Simkin, who is an amazing mom with just so much goodness that she's offering to her own kids and her adopted kids and doing good things in her community. But Donna, I want to hear more about your personal morning routine, the things you do that fill your cup. Tell us about that. So like my mornings, I get up before everybody else. I set my alarm so I can. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do like hot tea. So I'll sit back and drink my hot tea, usually reflect on maybe what's going to happen today and how I'm going to get all this done, what my goals are, how do I plan on achieving them, that kind of thing. I do like to take a cleansing breath and breathe. And sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I just like to sit here in the quiet. Mm -hmm. My mornings usually because that's when all the chaos until everybody gets going. That's how we do it. But I do have an evening routine that right after dinner, as the other adults in the house or the older people in the house are cleaning up and doing getting the dinner and getting dishes and stuff cleaned up and getting the kids ready for bed. That's my time. I come up to my room for at least an hour, shut the door. Sometimes I take a bath. Sometimes I'll take a quick shower and then just sit and watch a movie that I don't get to see or read a book or, well, not read a book because me and books don't get along. <laughs> whatever it is I want to do. Yeah. And usually that's when I do a lot of my journaling to get over whatever happened during the day because there's definitely a lot that happens that I want to get out and reflect on pulling myself back before mm-hmm. we go downstairs and have our family meeting and go to bed. Yeah. So you mentioned other adults in the house. So who do you mean by other adults? Just so those listening can understand. I think I know what you're talking about. So the other adults in my house, my 28 year old lives here because he is a certified chef Mm -hmm. and we've hired him as our chef. Nice. And so he still is in the house. So he helps out a lot with obviously the dinners and the cleanup of the kitchen and stuff. I do have my 20 year old son goes to college, but he lives here. Mm -hmm. So he stays. So in the evenings, he doesn't go to school. He goes to school during the day. So he is home and helps out. And then occasionally we have my husband home. My husband has a job that usually takes him out of town. Mm -hmm. And he actually works more out of town than he is in town. So we see him now. Right now he's working close enough that we can see him every two weeks. He'll come home for the weekend. Oh, nice. Sometimes he goes clean back east and he's in New York for like eight to 10 months at a time. Wow. That's tricky. When he is home, he's helping. But other than that, usually it is that my 28-year-old, he's not married, doesn't have any kids. And my 20-year-old, my 26-year-old daughter is here during the day usually. But she is married and has me a grandbaby and lives out on her own. Yay. She does come over and help out a lot. And when she's at work, I watch their child. Oh, that's nice. And it says a lot. I mean, you sound like really close knit, kind of like how you grew up in the Italian street with your family. (laughs) 
Yes, <laughs> I am very close with my older kids and I could not do this without my older children. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, they're free to do whatever they want to do. But this was a choice when we took on foster kids. We took on this choice as a family. Mm-hmm. We decided this as a family. And so we pretty much do it as a family. But everybody still has. I mean, I'm very big on finding yourself in your own time. So as soon as our family meeting is over 730 every single night, the little kids go to bed and basically everybody's off to do their own thing. If the big guys want to go to the show or one of them has a girlfriend, wants to go do something with the girlfriend, whatever, they still have plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. To go do that kind of stuff. So what do you do during your family meeting? That sounds intriguing. So our family meeting is we sit down and everybody sits in a circle. It's kind of like circle time in a school. Mm -hmm. We all sit in a circle and we tell something about our day. We do have a little princess wand. Since I have three little girls that are think they're princesses, we do have a princess wand and you cannot speak unless you have the wand in your hand. And we go around and just say something about our day. If anybody is in trouble or anybody had any problems during the day, like, you know, our discipline, you got, we don't, there's no grounding. We get everything out right then and there. So everybody goes to bed happy and knowing that tomorrow's a whole different day. We don't carry that grounding on. We don't carry any of that on. Mm -hmm. So how do you discipline? I mean, just to give us ideas, because that's one of the biggest things we moms struggle with. And maybe you'll have an idea for us. Well, with my little ones, I discipline with, we have a ticket system where they sat down and made a chart. We made a chart together of things that we need to work on. We need to be better in the store. We need to be better out in public. We need to be better to each other. We need to be able to clean off the table and do our chores and stuff. And with that, they earn tickets. And then we made another board where we have a store, our ticket store, where you had to pay. So like if you want to make cookies with mommy or you want to go on a date with mommy, you have to save up 60 tickets. Mm -hmm. If you want to go to McDonald's and have a happy meal, you have to save up 120 tickets. Whoa. (laughs) How do they earn a ticket? They earn tickets by what they did. So in our family circle every night, we go over how everybody did during the day and pay them their tickets. Wow. Wow. So how many tickets would one child earn in in a day, say? Oh, they could earn a lot. They could earn 120 tickets in one day. Oh. But they have failures, so they have to pay me some of them tickets back. Ah, okay. It's just like having a job now. If you did not brush your teeth properly, you owe me a ticket. Mm -hmm. You might get two tickets for brushing your teeth, but you didn't do it properly, so you have to give me back Oh, wow. How do they react to that? Do they ever get upset they have to give a ticket back? At first, when they with kids that come in, the new kids that come in in foster care and stuff, yes, they usually get upset at first. But then they realize it just works on them being a better person. Yeah. No, they will brush their teeth better so they can get that extra ticket. And in the long run, that helps me because there's less cavities that I have to pay for. Yeah. And it's cut and dry. It's there's no it's fair. Yeah. And they know the consequence to whatever the action they're going to do is going to be. Yeah. There's no unexpected. All the expectations are met at the very beginning. So even like going to the store, I have expectations that if you're going to come to the store with me, I don't want you every five seconds saying, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Yes. Because that's not what it is. We have a list. And so they know that when we go to the store, we have a list. If they're big enough, they go with one of the other kids and or they grab something and everybody has their things on the list that they can grab. And we grab and meet back and put all of our stuff from our list in the cart. Wow, that's really cool. That's amazing. What is your favorite happiness tool, Donna? My gratitude rock at the front door. Oh, that's good. Totally stealing that for sure. (laughs) Right after this, I'm going to go paint my gold, I think. (laughs) What's your favorite really simple meal? Oh, my favorite meal when I have to cook. I love waffle pizzas. Oh, I've never had one. What is it? 
We just take the refrigerated pizza dough. Yeah. And you put all your toppings in it. Don't put any sauce on it. You just put whatever toppings. So if you want just cheese, you just put just cheese in there and basically sandwich it. Put it in a Belgian waffle maker and cook it that way. No way. And it has uh-huh. to be Belgian. It can't be the small squares. Not the small ones. It has to be the Belgian. And then you just take a pizza cutter and slice it into strips, just like you have strips of waffles. Mm-hmm. And you dunk it in the marinara sauce. Oh my gosh. Kids have to love that. And do they make their own? Yes. And then everybody can choose what they want. So if you are one that loves everything, you can fill that thing up and put it in that Belgian waffle maker and cook it that way. And then you have all that ooey gooness between both of the pizza crusts. I'm so doing that. Thank you. Oh, I've never it's heard that, that before. easy and it's wonderful. So that's why that's my favorite one. Yeah. What is your favorite life hack? <laughs> You know, I thought about this one and I don't know that I have a favorite life hack. Well, I think my favorite life hack is that the UB plugins in all of the outlets and in the back of the seats of the cars now. Oh, for cell phones? Yeah, cell phones and iPads and stuff, because when I'm traveling to Salt Lake with one of my little kiddos and that iPad goes dead, it could be a heck of a ride. Oh, that's where you go to the hospital is Salt Lake Children's Hospital? Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, 200 miles away. And like my little Tubi guy, we have therapy down there every week. So I do class with Heal Your Heart on Wednesday morning, and then we take off to Salt Lake for our therapy. And you take all the kids with you or just no, no, him? Just one him. at a time. Yeah. Whoever has the appointment at that time. So sometimes I go to Salt Lake three times a week. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. What do you do yeah. while you're driving to, you know, make it worth it fun a little bit? I don't know if I should say this, but that's when I get caught up on my movies. My <laughs> nephew. <laughs> How do you do that? You Do you use your phone? I just put it on my phone and I have a, uh, you know, a cell phone holder in the car. Yeah. And even just listening to it is fine with me. But yeah. it's right there. Yeah. I'll confess. I have done that as well. But I don't look at it too much. I try to listen. At least that's what no, I tell I, my... <laughs> and usually the sun is glaring and so you really can't see a whole lot anyway. Yeah. But just to be able to listen to it. So I will put all the speakers up to the front right where I'm sitting, it just uh-huh. make it all come to the front driver's seat. And my little guy in the back will have their iPad with their own whatever they're going to do. And that's how I spend my time getting caught up on things that I like to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And Donna, what's your favorite book? Well, like I said, me and books don't get along. But right now, the one I am reading is The Big Leap. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. By yeah. I just mentioned that one in a few episodes back. So that's cool. Yes. So that's the one I'm working on right now. I guess if I had to say, I guess I would, I'm totally in love with the whole, the secret, the magic and the power, Mm -hmm. all those. But right now, the one that I'm reading is the the big leap. And like I said, I'm not really a a book connoisseur kind of person. Right, right. My mind's going 50 miles an hour and I'm trying to remember to listen to read. I mean, if I did books on tape would probably be a lot easier. Yeah, while you're driving. Well, so- Thinking, you know, you're kind of in the thick of things, and I'm sure many of our listeners are as well with jobs and kids and all the things that we do. What vision do you hold for your future? You know, applying those principles that the little old lady, as you refer to her, taught you, you know, what are you kind of attracting now into your life? Now I think I'm attracting into my life, and really, I did not realize this, whatever. I think I'm kind of all this is coming full circle to where at the beginning I went to school to teach and then I decided I just wanted to help people. And now I kind of want to, I'm going into helping people by teaching mm-hmm. with the, you know, teaching parenting classes and 
together facing the challenge classes. And so I'm hoping that with the positive and being able to continue to live my life the way I am, I can help others in life coaching type situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd be excellent. That's what I see myself headed towards. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. And now Donna, my favorite question, what does it mean for you to be a vibrant, happy woman? So for me, to be a vibrant, happy woman is right back to my model, mm-hmm. where you have to find yourself first. And I think anybody who has, who gets to know yourself, who does whatever it takes to make that difficult leap in life and know yourself mm-hmm. will be a vibrant, happy woman. Okay. And what is the one thing you do now in your life that is the most critical piece to make sure you keep knowing yourself, you know, as you move forward? That hour a day that hour a day. I get lax my night self time, either the bath time, the time where I breathe, I can listen to music, I can self care. You know, I love to try new hair and skin products. Oh, fun. (laughs) Yeah. So if there's something out there, you know, I'll try it. And that's usually my time (laughs) where I can try it. Because if you're going to try a face mask or put weird things all over your face, you really kind of don't want everybody watching you. Yeah. So (laughs) that hour of me time, Time Mm -hmm. where I get to spend on doing something for me. I also tend to get my hair done a lot. Mm -hmm. I get my nails done. So I have definitely that me time. Yeah. Is what recharges, fills my cup. That's what fills it every single, you know, I fill it up every night. And I like it better at night because then I can, I think I get better rest. Mm, because I go to, yeah, I let everything out while I'm doing my relaxing time, let go, get it all out, get everything done so that I'm not laying in bed worrying about, oh my gosh, what's this? Am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. That's really great. And a last piece of advice or a challenge to everyone listening. My challenge to everybody listening would be find at least 15 minutes a day to yourself okay, and then reset after that. But if just challenge yourself to find, to do whatever it is you want to do, even if you just have to go and take a power nap or listen to some type of meditation, there's a lot of meditating apps out there that I have downloaded that sometimes I listen to and just different things that you just buy yourself. Yeah. Nobody else around, not even the pets. Do you have any tips for keeping it consistent? Because, you know, any one of those foster kids could come bother you, right? When you're trying to do that, how do you keep it consistent? Kid gates. (laughs) Door locks. Yes. (laughs) Kid gates, door locks. Yeah, it is consistent because we made it. Now, back up just a tiny bit. My 20-year-old is also autistic. Uh So everything has to be in set schedules. Mm Mm-hmm. And now that I have this new little one that's autistic, it's set schedules. So we live on a set schedule. It's been for me consistent. I know that after dinner, we serve dinner at our house at 4.30. I know between 5.30 and 6, I start my hour time. Oh, and when do the kids go to bed? 7.30. That's really kind of smart. I like that. So while I am doing my hour time, they're cleaning up the kitchen with Mm -hmm. the dishes and getting the kids cleaned up and ready for bed. Mm -hmm. And then when I get done with my hour time, I come downstairs, we all circle around, we do our circle time, whoever wants to read the story that day, we'll read the story. And then we break and go to bed with all the kids go to bed. Sometimes I will, that's when I'll sit down and start doing some journaling, maybe getting things set up for the day before. I am very bad about ironing. I want everything ironed. (laughs) I don't know if that's just a bad problem I have. But that's usually when I'll get the time into iron. My kids go to private school, so they wear uniforms, so everything has to be prim pressed. You are a dying breed, Donna, with that ironing. I'm just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and it's so bad because everybody's going, you iron? Yes. Oh. 
it's relaxing or yeah. I don't know. No, don't know I've heard that before. People who iron really like it. And that's probably why they do it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Well, this is fantastic. I think you've inspired me. I'm going to try those pizza waffles or waffle pizzas and the rock, the gratitude rock for sure. And everybody do it. Yes, we Kinda will. Fun. Yes. At first, the older ones give you grief, but then pretty soon it gets to be fun where they can start thinking of weird things. Yeah, totally. And if they're bad at you, it's even better. So if you had a bad talk in the car on the way home and then they have to say something nice before they go in the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donna, this was great. I love all your advice. We're going to put those five tips you talked about from that little old lady. I love how you say that. We're going to have that on our show notes page. And I really appreciate you being on the show, Donna. This was awesome. Hey, thank you. It was, it was my pleasure. It was fun. <laughs> and that's Donna Simkin. Holy human being, Batman. <laughs> she is amazing. Anyway, I love Donna. Now, here's what I want you to think about. How can you do just a little bit more good for this world today? One little thing. Sometimes when we meet superhumans like Donna, we think, oh, I shouldn't even try. But the fact is, you can go touch a heart right now. One little thing. Just set an intention, maybe speak it out loud, and then let it happen. Tell your brain how it's going to go down. And remember, those five things that we need to stop doing no matter what. What are they again? Stop trying to please everyone. Stop fearing change. Stop living in the past. Stop putting yourself down and stop overthinking. Pick one or all and work on them. Maybe journal about them and see how your life can change. Now, for those of you who are in the Vibrant Happy Women Club, we are going to be working on these five stops together. We're going to be talking about the episode in our soul circles this week, and you can fill out the journal prompts so you can discuss this with your ladies. The fact is, we all have ways we can change. And when you're talking with your group, they're going to point out things that they hear you saying or doing that might help you to shift. It works better when you're doing it with other people and you raise each other up, shift your energetic levels higher, and it makes it all the easier. So watch for that if you're in the club. If you're not in the club, you can still join us. The doors are still open for a little bit longer. Just go to vibranthappywomenclub.com or go to jenreddy.com slash join. Two options for you. Well, I am so grateful for all of you. I'm glad you listened. I hope it inspired you. And I will be back later this week with a happy bit talking about values. What do you do when someone else's values don't match yours? Ooh, this is a juicy one. And it was inspired by my friend, Laura Sparks. Laura, this one is for you and happy birthday. This is Laura's birthday month. She asked a question, I'm gonna answer it. So it's an extra little birthday gift for you, Laura. <laughs> I will see you again later this week for that. And also next week with a new episode all about decluttering an organization. So get excited. Thank you so much for listening and make it a vibrant and happy life. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Vibrant Happy Women podcast at www.jenriday.com. 